keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Catalyst with Terry Ostroviak. In the next hour, Terry and his guests discuss how to accelerate your business success and turn possibility into certainty. So turn up your speakers and hold on. Here's your host of the Quantum Leap Catalyst, Terry Ostroviak. Good morning, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego. We've got a really intriguing title that we're going to be working on today, and I've already had uh, at least one or two emails in asking me about it. The subject that we're going to be discussing in business this morning is mobilizing our humanity at work to build high-performing companies. And that's really what this is about today, building high-performing companies. The conversation we'll be having will show some simple ways to mobilize our basic common characteristic, which is simply being human. We'll discuss how through the shift we can raise our game in all aspects of our business from productivity and sustainable profits to a meaningful life balance. Uh, sometimes it maybe we feel that we don't have a meaningful life balance in our businesses and it absorbs every thinking moment of our day. Our guest this morning is um, originally a South African, comes, he lives in San Jose in the United States. He serves as a director of strategy and business development for the company called Nokia Incorporated in a division called Enterprise Solutions. His dual focus is secure mobility solutions, architecture, very complicated, and strategic alliance management. He'll explain a little bit more about that later. He has a wide-ranging high-tech career, led business development for Apple, international uh, division, devised the -the state-of-the-art Apple manager's seminar, sold technology, trained salespeople, co-founded and led startup companies for real-time customer feedback and has done lots of on-the-job training. So he's a very practical man on the one hand, and on the other hand, he talks about the balance. So let's welcome him this morning. His name is Ian Brody. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Terry. Good to have you with us. Let's talk a little bit about, let's start off immediately with talking about what is meant by mobilizing our humanity at work. What does that indicate? Well, what I'm trying to get at is that my experience and I attribute the experience of many people is that at work, we're not allowed to be fully human. And if we could mobilize that, we could galvanize that, we could align our humanity at work, our organizations would shift in a way that we can't even imagine. (laughs) Okay, so you say we're actually not human. What are we? Well, I think that we are mechanisms. I think the way we relate to human beings in the current business environment uh, predominantly is as mechanisms. We are means to an end, and the end is productivity. Right, and somebody else's means probably most of the time. Right. Okay. So what what is the effect of that? Well, the effect, you you mean in terms of being mechanisms? Of not not being as human, as being mechanisms or maybe a cog in a wheel or just simple statistics in somebody else's dream. Well, so let me just throw out some words and see if they resonate with the audience and with you. I think a lot of people are unhappy, they're unfulfilled, they feel controlled, we feel stifled, we feel stressed, we feel untrusted, we feel, although we may not um, always 
recognize it, we feel spiritually malnourished. Yes. Okay. Is that how you felt at some stages of your working life? And do. <laughs> and still do. And still do. <laughs> right. I mean, let, right. Let, let's be quite clear. While I have, I have experience to share and ideas to share, yes. I certainly haven't risen above. I'm not in a perfect situation at all. I'm struggling with it myself. So this is okay. just, you know, a dialogue. So you're talking as one of the common people struggling <laughs> through, through this as well. Okay, very good. My and little name is the... Peon. Right. <laughs> Peon, okay. All right, maybe you should just spell that for <laughs> people are not clear on what the word is. Really? How do you spell it? P-E-O-N. Okay, all right. Okay, what does it mean? A peon is just a working person. Okay, no rights. <laughs> a working stiff. Yes, okay. Good, we got it. All right, so um, you're struggling with the same thing. And uh, this is a message today to all the bosses who may not be aware of the fact that this is how their people feel. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And, right. and, and incidentally, I think that what's happening in the world around us right now right. is the, it's fertile soil. We are, we're, the, the context is starting to change. Certain assumptions that we've had about how the world is, for example, that we can always find oil and petrol and gasoline at a cheap price yeah. is, are going away. And things like that are beginning to help us understand that unless we change radically, things are not going to be pretty in the future. And so why not change right where we are, you know, 8 to 10 to 16 hours a day at work? Right. Okay. So you're also saying that um, there is this... There is an awareness, I think. Um, I mean, I live in San Diego, and I, I have the feeling that in this area over here, there's a, there's a lot of uh, insight into needing to, to change, and people are all involved in self-improvement of some kind. Um, this is, in that sense, it's quite a healthy place. But I don't know if that's so worldwide. Maybe it is. Certainly, it's, it's, it's coming. It's a sort of coming trend. Well, no, and change... That should be done. Right, and change happens, I mean, there are always little pockets where it happens first. Yeah. So, for example, take South Africa, for example. Mm. Everybody thought in the, not everybody, but the vast majority of people thought in the early 90s that there was no way that South Africa could change from a white-dominated government to a multiracial, integrated society without absolute bloodbath. Yeah. And South Africa managed to do it. Now, there are problems, there's crime, there are economic issues. I mean, there's a whole host of problems. But politically, that was a beacon of what can happen if a society is led and follows with a sense of what it means to be human beings. Okay. And I think there are examples like that in the business world, too, and we're looking everywhere for examples like that so that we can translate them into, you know, our one-person, two-person, five-person, 50-person businesses. Yeah, very good. That's a good analogy. And it's interesting that it needs a catalyst to, to, to spark that change. Exactly. It just doesn't happen on its own. Right. And in that case, uh, we're talking about Nelson Mandela being able to do that. Right. And we're talking about Nelson Mandela, but we also, uh, I want to make clear that, to be a leader requires followers. So 
between both sides. And Nelson yes. Mandela, as great of a human being as I believe he is, he also had a lot of people who trusted him and trusted the spirit that he was bringing. And, okay. and they forgave. People forgave each other. They yielded to a new future, which is a very different way of dealing with a problem. Right. That's what I would call a quantum leap, by the way, when the third alternative comes out. There's your, your, your vision, my vision, and then there's a third vision that we create together. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about quantum leap thinking or quantum leap results, that's what it is, and that would be a wonderful example of a quantum leap. So what else do you think is happening in business today that causes people not to be as human as they should be or could be? Well, I think, let me get clear about one thing. I think that everything is is the way it should be right now. Yes. And that's because, you know, it's like quality. If you specify that something should be built or something should be delivered or a phone should be answered in a specific way and people do that, then that is the definition of quality. Now, if the specification originally is flawed, then even the the quality that is delivered, while it is quality, is still not up to par. And that's yes. the problem. The problem isn't that people aren't doing their best. It's that we have bought into the notion that more, that growth, that more growth is right. And that is an unnatural concept. In fact, if we look at nature, things that grow too big, too much, too fast don't sustain, they don't survive. And that is the shift that needs to occur in order for us to mobilize our humanity because that way we could slow things down. If we started aspiring to be sustainable in our profit, in our growth, in our revenue, in our production, what we would do is raise the standards, slow things down, and give us more time to breathe which is one of the biggest problems. People breathe shallowly at work because they're so busy trying to do everything by Friday. Only Robinson Crusoe had everything done by Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Very good example. (laughs) Lovely, Ian. Yes, it's interesting because people think that change means speeding up the pace, and you're right. Uh, Most people don't want that that high-speed talking to you from San Diego. Our guest this morning is discussing the subject of how to mobilize our humanity at work to build high-performing companies. That means having some better balance in our lives and business. Our guest, in fact, doesn't come from San Jose. I said San Jose for some reason, but he's actually in Santa Cruz, which is um, somewhere between San Francisco and Los Angeles uh, in that area. And uh, he works for a company called Nokia in the Enterprise Solutions Division. And we're discussing this subject with him today. He's a high-tech 
person has done many, many different things and has a vast experience in people relationships and business. Hi, so Ian, tell us a little bit more this morning about what does it mean to be more human in business? Well, so the, I think the first question that has been helpful for me to ask yes. is ask myself, and I'm going to ask everybody to ask themselves, is what does it mean to be a human? Yes. What are humans? What is our nature? And one of the things that's been helpful is that I, I came across a book that was written called In the Footprints of Eve about a discovery that was made by the paleontologists in the late 1990s, 1997 to be exact, yes. of what they now consider to be the forebears of us, the human being. Right. And what was fascinating to me is that what our conclusion is that our nature is opposite of what I've been led to believe. I've been led to believe that human beings are by nature war warmongers. We're violent, we, we're, we're aggressive, and we're defensive. And what's interesting is that what these guys have discovered, and all the old traditions have always told us this, but we've had difficulty believing, is that human beings are really compassionate, smart, resourceful, peaceful, sustainable, funny. That's who we are. And so I'm thinking, even if we're not that way, and this is all just a myth, it feels a lot better to be compassionate, smart, resourceful, peaceful, sustainable, and funny. So why not be that way? Why not choose to be that way at work? And obviously you've taken up this banner and uh, you're trying to make people around you buy into that idea as well. Exactly. Exactly, and I feel it's like chicken soup. You know, it may not do any good, but it's certainly not going to do any harm. <laughs> okay, and it tastes pretty good normally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ian, so let's talk a little bit more about that. What would you suggest that we start looking at in order to add more humanity to our business lives? Well, so the first because thing... I, I just want to mention this to you. There are many skeptical business people out there saying, oh. that stuff out, you know, that's, that's not going to make a huge difference to my life. Right. We've got to look at the bottom line here. Exactly. And I think that they're right. You've got to yes. look at the bottom line. And the question is, how big does the bottom line have to be, number one? And number two is, are we, as leaders of organizations, feeling fulfilled or are we feeling stressed? And my hunch is that skepticism comes from a certain amount of fear, that if we change what we're doing, we might make mistakes. And what we begin to realize as we look around is that making mistakes is okay. Even the best, best hitter in the history of baseball still struck out many more times than he hit the ball. Right. Right? And, and you just look around in the world and you realize that that's the way things are. So it's okay to make mistakes. So the first thing that I think we've got to do is change our concept of what it means to be a business person and a business leader. And instead of thinking of ourselves as the boss, the phrase that I prefer to use is think of ourselves as being the learning guide. That's all. Yeah. All we are are guides of our own and others' learning. 
so that people can learn and hopefully they won't make the same mistake more than once and if they do, you know, they'll learn from that and so the whole ship will rise higher in the water. Right, so in a sense what you're saying is that we have to be the learning guide, we have to be the learners as well. We're not actually the teachers now. We're not saying that bosses have got to become teachers. Not at all. In fact, okay. in fact, so we, teaching... Right. In yeah. fact, teaching is a, is a metaphor. Even I've been noticing the way teachers are starting to re-describe themselves. Yeah. And in, uh, in all the latest stuff that I'm reading in the newspaper and the magazines, teachers don't call themselves teachers anymore. They call themselves educators. Right. And one of the interesting things about the difference between an educator and a teacher, if you go back to the original meaning of the word, is educator comes from the Latin a, which means out of, or E, X, and duco, which yeah. means to lead. So to yeah. educate means to lead out of, which is basically the idea was you lead yourself and others out of darkness into light. That was the original idea. And so why not adopt that in business? Let's become learning guides primarily for ourselves and let others participate in that process. Therefore, the, the boss or the manager or the supervisor has to accept that they're in a learning curve themselves and acknowledge that with their people. Exactly. And so, always. And they, always. If they don't do it, it's never going to happen. Right. And by the way, that's very hard because yeah. the bigger your business and the higher up you are, the harder it is to be perceived as vulnerable, because don't forget, in our society, vulnerability is considered weak. Yes. We think of it, especially in male-dominated or masculine, let's not even call it male, in masculine-dominated society yeah. and thought, being vulnerable is weak. So to, to say, I don't know, is often considered, oh, I can't do that. And yet, it's, it opens the possibility for other people to participate and it opens the possibilities for new ways of doing things which are great. Let me give you an example, if I may. Sure. So, there's a small business we're running in uh, Santa Cruz, California and um, there were seven of us in the team and we had a serious pitch that we were going to make to a customer. And so, I said to the group, okay, listen, let's, why don't we all go out for lunch and let's discuss it over lunch. Everybody said, fine. And I said, okay, where should we go? And some people wanted to go for pizza and other people wanted to go for Chinese food. And it became, it became an argument. Pizza versus Chinese food. And I said to myself, okay, what is my role as, as the learning guide here? Yes. Firstly, I can't care whether it's pizza or Chinese food because my interest is to get these people talking about this pitch that we're going to make to this customer. That's my interest. Yeah. So I thought about the two alternatives, and I said to them as follows. We need a place where we can talk as a community, where everybody can look at each other and talk, and my sense is that the best way to do that is to sit all of us at a round table rather than at a, at a rectangular table. Because a round table gives us a way we can all look at each other. Do we all agree? And everybody agreed. 
So I said, let's find out which of those restaurants has a round table. Well, it turned out that the Chinese restaurant was the only one with round tables. So we landed up... a lazy season in the middle. (laughs) So we landed up up going for Chinese food. And Uh I use that as an example. It sounds petty, but it's an example of where the leader can bring learning guiding because then we processed it and people saw and everybody agreed they just dropped the pizza argument completely because they understood that our interest was the customer pitch. The food was secondary, and how we did it, breaking bread together, whether it was Chinese bread or Italian bread, didn't matter. So being very practical now, I'm boiling this down to practicality. Step number one in the process, you would say, is what? Because this is how we should be approaching this. Is to change our role. Think about the role that we have as different. Change all the... Drop all the titles... We can keep yes. the titles on the business cards and everything. Yes. But stop thinking about ourselves hierarchically. Yes. Start thinking of ourselves as all being out on a plane, a wide open plane, where in some situations we know what to do, in other situations we don't know what to do. Some of us are more comfortable leading, others are more comfortable following, and let's just learn our way towards satisfying our customers. Yeah. With in, masculine, in masculine societies, of course, this is a really tough job to do. I mean, I've lived in, in the Netherlands for 12 years, and uh, that's, a, in a sense, what they often call a feminine society, as most Scandinavian comp- companies are, or, or culture is. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. And so the idea um, of it being, um, what, well, you can almost say it's a feminine culture in that it's more inclusive rather than exclusive as opposed to the male macho dominated society right. where the leader comes up with, with, with all the ideas. So, well, but yeah, so I, you're, you're I agree with, key. I agree you, with you because I've seen it both ways and I know you, that that's the right way. You're providing a key right there yes. because so you've given us another thought which I think is a very useful thought right. which is it's not about male and female. It's not about men and women. No, no. It's no, about no, masculinity no. and femininity. And by the way, yeah. we're all an, a mixture of both. Right. We know now. We have enough information right. that even first, second, third graders in elementary Forgive me for okay, uh, not cutting a... in for a moment. We've got a break right now. We'll be back in a few moments and we will discuss this a bit further. And we'll talk about the practicalities and the functioning functioning of, of this type of thinking in an organization and how we can inject it more easily. So stay with us. We'll see you in a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego with our guest, Ian Brody, who is uh, works in an area called Enterprise Solutions within the Nokia Group. We're talking about mobilizing our humanity at work to build high-performing companies, and we've been discussing some of the areas that we should be looking at. I just wanted to mention to you, just like we're, like Ian is recommending, that people get involved in, this, in the process. You can get involved in this process right now if you want to call in um, either from one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero if you're within the United States or the North America area. And if you're not, if you're overseas in Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and I know the times, the time differences are great, but there is a number you could call in, and that number would be one for the United States, 
30, and you could get through. Or you could even just send me an email right now, and it will come onto my desktop while I'm chatting uh, to Ian, and that is terry at qlcatalyst.com. QL stands for Quantum Leap Catalyst. QLCAT is the, is the name. So it's terry at qlcat.com. Or you can just go to my website right now. You'll find all those addresses there, and you can respond directly from there. There's a place for you to be able to do that. And if we can pick it up during the show right now, that would be great. So I look forward to hearing from you. In fact, I did get a letter from somebody in South Africa who already has written in and says, does it mean that CEOs who presently earn obscene salaries will show their humanity by refusing to accept such salaries and rather share part of them with high-performing staff? Does it mean that we're going to have motivational and spiritually uplifting sessions at work on a regular basis? So these are very important. Thank you, Edna, for, for that uh, comment that you made, and that uh, does put us on track. Ian, let's talk a little bit more about it. Let's just review just what we've talked about a moment ago so that everybody's on track again for the third part of our show. So you mean Step in terms of femininity and masculinity, what we were talking about was that I was saying that even in the early grades now, today, we, are, we understand that human beings are a mixture of masculine and feminine. It's just chromosomes. There's just yes. there's a very little difference. So... So the fact is that shifting to a feminine organization is not that big of a deal. It's part of us. It's, it's, it's just another choice. And, in fact, all we're really talking about is shifting from a, from a control method, which is really a militaristic industrial method, to a support method or a nurture method, which is more... Warm-blooded, which is more living than alive. About it being human. It's a human area. Exactly, exactly. So right. that's what I'm, what I'm trying to suggest we could do. And I think that the way we, we got to do that is when we talk about spirituality, one of the things we, we need to, to get clear about is that spirituality is not religion. Everybody's entitled to their own religion. They can believe what they want to believe. Spirituality about being human is, is getting at a very deep level that we are all connected, that while we are superficially different, some of us are, are this skin color, others are tall and others are short and whatever it is, but if we get down to the very basics, we have common ancestry and we are all connected. And if we get that in our work situation, what we start to recognize is that, and this, if, if people take away nothing from anything I've said, this is the most valuable piece of information I, I feel I'm contributing, is that what we hate, what we detest in others the most is what we detest in ourselves. So that when we see somebody who really is getting to us, what we, if we shine the light inside, deep, 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 beneath our anger, beneath our hurt, beneath our need, at the very core of our fear, is that that is the way we are ourselves. And once we get that, then we can go, whew, okay, how do I learn to be different than I am so I can overcome that? Because that's an aspect of myself I don't like. And all of a sudden, it transforms the way we relate to one another, the way we talk to each other, the way we conduct meetings, 
the way we talk on the phone. It's it's a completely different way. Yeah. So you know, from a teamwork point of view, if we if we did take the trouble to do that and allow the humanity aspect of our lives to come through, then that team becomes a lot stronger in the long run because then we start thinking of ourselves almost like a family, as opposed to a group of individuals thrown together to uh, just attempt a task or to work on a project. Right. So uh, that's exactly right. And let me give you an example uh, of just from a very mundane management perspective. Yes. My experience has been in my career of the last 30, 35 years is that um, in a performance evaluation, managers say, well, you do this, here are your strengths, and here are your weaknesses. These are the areas that you've got to work on. And I've never understood that. I've never understood why we should try to get people to focus on those areas they're not good at unless those areas get in the way of the things they're good at. Yes. Because what we should be doing is focusing on what we're good at and then leaving the things we're not good at for others who are good at those things. Wonderful, and I really applaud you for bringing that up today because that certainly reinforces the belief that I have to People go into jobs and spend their lives sometimes working on in areas that they're totally unsuited for and, and feel that that's what being human is or what living is about. But I believe that the reality is exactly opposite, but just like you said it a moment ago, that we should find out what we're really good at and spend most of our time doing that. Right. That's what we bring to the table. Right, and what we recognize is that what you and I have just talked about is summed up in one word, yes. diversity. Yeah. And when we look in nature, we discover that diversity is one of the bedrocks of nature. It makes things go around. So rather than hiring people who look like us, who believe, who agree with us, who etc., etc., we should be looking for a team, you know, who can fill all the positions. Some people can run fast, put them in the backs. Some people, you know, are big and strong, you put them in the front. Some people, it, it just, it, people gravitate, if we let them, people will gravitate to where they feel, where they trust themselves, where they feel like they can make a contribution. And all of a sudden, they will do things that you won't believe. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, when I was working uh, for a large corporation, they were trying to save money. And they were doing all kinds of things, you know, adjusting the financials and everything. And a few of us got together and we went to the director of finance for the company and we said, why don't you just tell people in the corporation, anywhere they are, that you will reward them for managing cost better wherever they are. And he said, what do you mean? I'll lose money. We said, no, 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 no. If let's say somebody saves you a thousand dollars, give them a hundred. And he looked at it. He said, okay, let's try it. So they tried it, and somebody came to them in one of the groups and said, we should stop printing out checks that we give everybody at the end of every month in color. We should just print them in black and white. And he saved millions of dollars that year. This was a large corporation. He saved millions of dollars and he rewarded the person a couple of thousand dollars because he had the, the guts to say, people who are where they are know better than about what's going and on. That's practically that management. You could say that too, yeah. 
Because they're at the rock face. They're out in the field. They see things. Exactly. And they very often don't, the culture of an organization doesn't allow that kind of communication to feed back up. And in fact, I, I you know, one of my dearest friends, uh, Duncan, his name was, always said to me that uh, creativity comes from the field, policy comes down the line to the people. And that's the way that the line of communication should run. But we're not allowing uh, the people at the rock face to share their creativity. So what we're really talking about here is creating an environment that's free enough for people to share that creativity and to contribute to the well-being of the organization. True. Right. True. And I would take it one step further to say that and the role of leadership is to serve and to to serve and to guide the learning of those in the organization and those that relate to the organization like customers or suppliers or partners. So we've got just a few moments to our break. Let's just briefly talk about, in a small business, how could we implement some of those ideas if we've only got, say, one or two people? I don't think, yeah. I, I don't think it makes any difference because it all starts with me. It starts with yeah. who I am, and it starts with having the conversation. So, for example, if I'm in a small business and I've been listening to the show and I go, you know what, this sounds like an interesting idea. I could go back and say, you know, I heard this program on the radio the other day and I just want to say that I could feel better at work. How about you guys? What do you think? And let the other person or the other two people say, well, no, I feel perfect or whatever, but start the conversation. Own who we are, not apologize for anything, get into being present with each other and open the conversation to could we improve, but not could we improve, get our productivity better or anything like that, yeah. but could we improve our relationship to what we, who we are and what we do all the time. Right. And if we can do that, okay. consequentially, things will right. change. You know, we have, have you ever noticed this? Break. If you, you smile... Yeah, we have to go into the break. So we'll okay. go into the break. We'll <laughs> come right back and we'll just follow that up and just tie it up and make it clear. So, uh, not that it isn't clear up to this point, but I mean just uh, to, to make it doable. That's really the idea behind this. So let's go into our break. We'll be back in a moment. Stay with us, folks. Hi, everybody. We're going to the last part of our show now. We're talking about mobilizing our humanity at work and in so doing, building high-performing teams and companies. And our guest is Ian Brody, who's been in the field of business development in Nokia, originally worked with Apple's international division, and has done many things from sales and trained salespeople and on-the-job learning and so on. Very practical person. Ian, just follow up on what we were talking about just before we went on to the, into the break again and just tie it up for us, that part. Well, so what I was talking about is inviting people into the conversation. Yes. And in fact, starting a conversation for this kind of thinking. Right, exactly. And one of the things that I wanted to say was if, just to give a really simple practical example, let's say you've got somebody who's answering the phone. Yes. Well, instead of saying to, telling them, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do the next thing, you might want to have a conversation with somebody who's answering the phone for the company and say, have you ever noticed, and do 
do it on the phone maybe and say, have you ever yeah. noticed that when you smile and you say hello on the phone, how can I help you, your voice sounds different than when you don't smile. Yeah. And see, and, and, and people can practice that. So they yeah, can we, we practice. Can do that. That's certainly true. Exactly. And it's, it's little things like that. So it's inviting people into the conversation, starting it, and then it's a question of going back to the issue that we talked about. So changing our roles, becoming learners ourselves, inviting others into our learning journey, namely opening the conversation and inviting others in. And then third is balancing our conversation. And balancing our conversation is simply recognizing that most of our conversation is telling, advocacy. And a balanced conversation is genuine inquiry. It's genuine interest, not all, 50-50. It's telling people what you think, and then it's genuinely, and that's the key. It's not disguised. Sometimes people say, um, well, let me ask you a question. I think, so they disguise their advocacy. But what we really want is we really want people to um, balance their conversation with, I think, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? What do other people think? Help me understand where maybe I'm not seeing something. And that balance of conversation, especially coming from a business leader, opens things up in a way which in the beginning it feels different. You know, in the beginning it's hard. It feels contrived. It's like like if you've never said I love you to somebody and all of a sudden you've got to start practicing it. But after a while, guess what? You know, it feels like it becomes natural. It becomes part of your swing. You groove your swing into telling and asking. Right. I just, uh, by the way, I just received uh, an email from uh, from Israel. Actually, uh, he says, "I love the way uh, you came across with this last idea." Uh, if I'm a business owner of a printing business with three dissatisfied employees, how can I motivate them to come up with ideas? So that ties in exactly with what you were saying now. Right. Just, and the, and the answer briefly on this. Well, I would think that the. The first conversation it would have would be to get the people, firstly, don't try to deal with them one-on-one necessarily, but get people in a group and say, you know what, I've got a sense that people are dissatisfied. And if I'm contributing to the dissatisfaction, I want to hear how, number one. Number two is I want to hear generally what people are dissatisfied about. And number three is I want people to come up with constructive suggestions for how we could change what we're doing, which would be in the interest of the business, and at the same time would help them move on a track, would help you, would help us move on a track to dissipating that dissatisfaction. But I'm open to hearing... Yes, what we're doing then is we're actually creating a culture uh, that allows those ideas to start to surface. And we're creating an environment or an atmosphere, you can call it any of those three things, that allows people to feel that their ideas really do count and that we actually want them. Right, that we actually want them and that we're committed to to raising the intelligence of the organization. And the only, look, biologically, our intelligence is where it is right now. It's been evolving for, you know, 120,000 years. It's not going to immediately become greater. However, if we join our intelligence 
all of a sudden we can raise the intelligence of our organization, of our family, of our nation, of our, of our globe, because we're joining intelligences. Well, the only way to do that is by creating a context, a space for people to give their opinions. And the one thing, and by the way, setting ground rules is also okay. So we can say, and we want constructive stuff, and I want criticism, but, it, but no personal criticism. And if I'm yeah. giving personal criticism, then I want you to hold up a flag for me. Because all personal criticism does is put people down. And when you put people down, the problem with that is, is that nobody likes to be put down. And so if especially you put people in, down, especially it gets in a, Especially in a group environment. Exactly. Well. Right. There's a rule that says you never criticize in public. You criticize them in private. You, pray you can't say public. something nice, don't speak. Yeah. Exactly. That's my yeah, dream. We need to we need to just uh, tie up what we've discussed today, and uh, well, let's start off again and just go through a brief summary of the various points that that you that you brought up again, so that people can go out of today's meeting and say to themselves, "Well, there's some things here that I could do that could make a difference." Incidentally, I just had a, a people trying to get me on Skype, for instance. Um, obviously, I can't take any Skype calls at the moment because we're doing a radio show. So, if you wanted to just phone in briefly right now. From overseas, it's one four eight zero six four three five four three zero, or just email me quickly now at terry at um, qlcat.com. That would be the best way to do it. So, Terry, while we're summing up, uh, you mentioned yes. that if people wanted to get a hold of me, they can do it through you, right? Yes. Okay, great. Yes, that would be the best way to do it. So, if you want to talk uh, with Ian Moore, you want to get some more ideas on this, just simply go to my website, qlcat.com. And there is a contact form on, on in, I mean, it's very, very simple to do that. And just ask the question and I'll connect you up with, with Ian in, in a flash. That's all you have to do, as simple as that. Let's just summarize where we are. So, uh, summarizing, I think we could summarize with about six little categories. The first is yeah. mobilizing our humanity at work to build high-performing companies. The first question is, what does it mean to be human and we ask that question, and we can be sustainable, funny, compassionate, smart, right. peaceful in our right. work. Then to mobilize is the task is to get ourselves moving in an appropriate and appropriately organized way. And that implies changing our roles from boss and employee or boss and worker right. to learners and learning guides. Number three? Number three is yeah. the number three is inviting changing the conversation, inviting others into the conversation and trying to balance our telling and our asking right. and being open to being vulnerable by saying, I don't know what do others think and what do others think about what I think. Ian, we're closing off right now. Thank you very much for what you've talked about today. You've given us a lot of thought, uh, a lot of questions, actually, to think about that. If you want some more information from Ian, just go to my website again, Terry at uh, QL, well, my email at Terry at QLCAT.com, or just go to QLCAT.com directly, and you'll be able to answer a contact form there and get in touch with them. Thank you very much, Ian. I just want to mention to folks all over the world that are listening today that our guest next week is a man by the name of Ilan Rubinstein. He comes from Tel Aviv in Israel. 
He's a very successful business coach, entrepreneur, businessman. He'll be talking about some of his experiences in coaching top-level people, executives, CEOs of companies. So be back with us next week at the same time as we're on right now, and we'll see you then. Thanks so much, Ian. You're welcome, Terry. Thanks. Thank Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.